Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Double stagger Pringles with the left hand driving at Canner gives to Rudy. No one's missing this. Rudy's going high. He's going hard. He's packing with two hands. Mike, he steps at Canner. Canner fades back. No good. Rebound battle. Gobert with a nice rebound. Pump fakes out and goes back to the rack and finishes. Rudy Gobert. Flex, Rudy. Flex. Donovan Mitchell has 33 points tonight. Comes to the front court. His meter is running. He drives the left hand into contact, off the window and in. Donovan working on Powell, five on the clock. Donovan crosses over, step back, long two, tough looks, perfect. The highlights is the Utah Jazz beat the Portland Trailblazers. After a pair of losses, the Jazz get a 122-103 win. PK, we spent a lot of yesterday talking about rebounding. Clearly, we weren't the only ones talking about rebounding. Somebody in the Jazz locker room was talking about it because not only did Rudy have 21 rebounds, but Royce O'Neal had nine and five apiece for Bogey and Mitchell and Favors and Ingles. The Jazz plus 17 on the backboards. Man, they fixed that problem in a hurry. Yeah, they did, and there was a lot of rebounds to be had with Portland shooting under 40% from the floor. So, yeah, and obviously Quinn Snyder addressed it in the post game, and it was obvious. I mean, they gave up way too many, allowed way too many second chances, and they had 14 offensive rebounds themselves, which was very, very impressive. And Quinn said, if we would have done this like we did, uh, we would have done like we did tonight versus two nights ago, speaking of last night, of course, they win that ball game probably. You don't know for sure, but yeah, it was obvious. And so he went after it, and they responded. Jazz were going back-to-back, and the Blazers were rested, and often that starts to show up late third quarter if a team's fatigued. But ironically, the third quarter is when the Jazz blew this game open. They were down 56-53 at the half, and they won the third quarter 40-19. Absolutely dominated, and it was done. There was no run left for the Blazers. The Jazz cruised to the victory. That third quarter was the best quarter, the most important quarter. It was the winning quarter. Yeah, Portland has to make shots for them to win. I mean, I don't know how much of an inside game they've got. It's basically perimeter, and the two stars go a combined 16 of 42. They were both 8 of 21. That happens. That's what I do every time with Portland. Go right to the McCollum and, and Lillard, and both of them being 8 of 21. Their chances of winning are going to go way up. And freaking Joe Ingles, man. I expect him to show up with full body tats today. I mean, he's taking on Jordan Clarkson's role. 13 <laughs> shots? What a gunner. You wanted more shots. You were disappointed yeah. with a few shots. He took five in the first quarter, four more threes. He missed them all. He, did, he didn't shoot much in the second, if at all. But in the second half, he got it going, got up his 13 shots. Yeah, I think that's great. <laughs> I said it yesterday. There's no way he and Royce O'Neal should be taking the same amount of shots. And what's great, and he was 2 of 8 from 3, which isn't great for him, but it's great that he goes and misses a bunch of shots when they win. Well, for the Jazz, 28.6% from 3. I mean, they didn't really have it going from 3 for the third game in a row. So 
find a different way to win. And if they can shoot 28.6% from three and still beat a playoff team by 19, that's a good thing. And, and I get among the Western contenders, Portland would be the low end of that. Um, but so what? They won by 19 on the second night of a back-to-back. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know that I would put uh, Portland as a contender. They're a playoff team. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, this is they've sort of been running in place with this team now for a number of years, and they're getting the same result. Yep. Well, they do need better play from their big man. It was um, pretty pedestrian. You know, it's, Nurkic had 10 points and six boards, and Cantor came in with eight points and seven boards. Yeah, doesn't doesn't really put the fear in you, and, and Rudy had a big game against him, going 18, 18 Reese points. Reese Lucas isn't walking through that door, man. Back. Other big guys, go ahead. Kevin Duckworth isn't walking through that door. Bill Walton isn't walking through that door. Well, I like Bobby Gross because he went to Pedro High. There it is. Huh, on our championship team in 70-something or other. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Achua, angle right side, hands it off to Jimmy Butler. Schroeder up on him, worked around the Achua screen. Little jump shot for Jimmy Butler. That's a 12-footer, and he'll put it up and in. Doncic to the left wing against Connaughton. To the middle of the floor, step out by Lopez to play him on the switch. Luka to his left, but back to his right. Steps back inside the circle, hits the jumper. Porzingis out top, 30-footer, hit it! He's okay, playing on the second night of back-to-backs, the third time he's done it this year, and he's had three huge games. Bounce past the letter, all the way to the rim, counted in a foul. It's a right-handed tomahawk jam and a hoop and harm. Kawhi Leonard says good night, Phoenix. Clippers beat the Phoenix Suns 113-103. to They pull away late, 8-0 run in the middle of the fourth quarter. So the Jazz, who gave up a game to the Suns the night before, pick up a game on the Suns and are now two and a half games up in the West once again. Paul George, 33 points for the Clippers as they get the win. And the Jazz, two and a half clear of the Suns, four and a half in front of the Clippers. Exactly yeah, what every Jazz fan Flicking back and forth on that game. Uh, and then it was uh, a little later. Paul George, eh, he is something. You know, if you were going to put a lineup of people, like a police lineup, but only like an NBA lineup, and you ask somebody, identify someone who's an NBA player, I think they go right to George. You know, he's long, he's athletic, uh, he can really do it all when he gets once it gets going. And I know PG-13 in the postseason has actually been rated X for obscene. But if he ever finds his stroke in the postseason, man, that Clipper team is going to be awfully dangerous. Central Casting, send me an NBA player. I need someone who looks like an NBA player for this uh, movie he? I'm doing. And they just send Paul George over, right? Yeah. He's got. He really just, just epitomizes what an long NBA player would lean, look it, like. Not right. everyone can do this, but one thing he really does is like when they're walking out from a timeout, I mean, he just looks athletic. You just right, look he at does. He just walks like an athlete. He looks the part. He totally looks the part. And yeah. it just comes back to what PK says. He's just got to do it in the playoffs. Because in the regular season, you know he can drop 33 on you. Right. Which right. he did. He beat the Lakers 110-104. The Lakers were hanging in there watching that score. I wasn't watching the game, but I was kind of watching the score as the Jazz game progressed. And 
the Lakers were leading or down by a bucket, and then uh, closing time, they don't have their stars to seal the deal at the end of the game, and the Heat win it. Closing time. One last call for Jimmy Butler to score 28 points and win the game. And he got it done. And the Mavericks are just all over the map. They looked really good beating the Jazz, the best team in the league, and then they looked horrific losing to the Rockets, who are one of the two worst teams in the league. They get the Bucks on the schedule, and they come back and win by 15. Luka Doncic, 27-9-9, just the kind of stuff you expect him to crank out every game. Porzingis, who was sitting against the Jazz and was supposed to be out for a while, wasn't out that long. And he had 26 points, 17 rebounds. You heard him there in the, in the highlights, so... Mavericks, good win, really bad loss, really good win. So go figure those guys out. Uh, Raptors guard Fred Van Vliet, DeAndre Bembry, Lakers guard Taylor Horton Tucker been suspended one game each without pay for leaving the bench during an all-on-court altercation with the Lakers. That was where uh, Schroeder committed the foul and Ananubi turned him upside down and Montrez Harrell got fined because he was the third man in. Don't leave the bench, PK. Oh, the Raptors, they're going to have to be out with uh, without DeAndre Bemfrey, is it? Bemfrey, yeah. yeah. Never heard of him. <laughs> DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. I think Washington is, is going to be the next team to unload all their picks to try to get a quarterback. I think they love Lance. I think Washington, I don't think, I know Washington loves Lance. And so, will they trade up to get Lance? That becomes remains to be seen. That's Trey Lance, the quarterback from North Dakota. Um, reading one of the mock drafts on him. In terms of physical tools, Trey Lance is the quarterback you build in the lab. He has Patrick Mahomes' arm. Josh Allen's athleticism. Oh, geez. Wow. Building them up, PK. We've seen players come out of the FC level and be good, so he could be. It's hard to know. Well, that would be... W-F-T-L-L. We love Lance. Washington <laughs> football team love Lance. Apparently they do. We'll see if they make the deal and, and move up. Uh, the Watson update. His attorney is uh, wants emergency hearings on all the civil lawsuits. Wants the judge to uh, tell the other lawyer to identify all the women who filed suits. Wants to move this along because it's just a daily dose of bad PR for him and the legal system can move pretty slowly, so trying to move all that up. Well, the thing that I'm not sure is that uh, his attorney is acting like these ladies are anonymous. But wouldn't Watson, who's contacted apparently some of them, wouldn't he know who they are? How many of them? Was it 100 of them? Because you went there. So wouldn't you know already? Currently. Wouldn't you know who they are? So are they really anonymous? They're anonymous to us, but are they anonymous to you? Because you went there. Yeah, I don't know if he, you know, if they want to contact them and depose them and all that kind of stuff. Does he know all of their names and match their names to the suits and have phone numbers for all of them? I don't know. I don't oh, know over so what period. So you have period. their names on the right and their and the suits on the left, and, and you got to match it up game? like you did in those math yeah. tests when you were. Oh, if the triangle, the isosceles triangle. Uh Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Well, Duolingo has that for trying to learn Spanish or Uh any language, for that matter of fact. So they got the Spanish words on the left and the the English words on the right, and you have to match them. It's kind of cool that way. I always thought that put a lot of pressure on me. 
I get the cold sweats. Former NFL player Philip Adams fatally shot five people. A prominent doctor, his wife, their two grandchildren. He later killed himself. Uh, authorities have not determined a motive for the, the mass shooting that took place on Wednesday. He played in 78 NFL games, six seasons, six teams. Patriots, Seahawks, Raiders, Jets, Falcons. Um, he was actually drafted by the Niners. That's where it all started. So this is a horrific story, PK. Way more questions than answers. Yep. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Mike Trout, high drive, deep left center field. Mike Trout, again. The pitch, he struck him out. Check swing, Benintendi slams the bat, then the helmet down. Lynn's got 10 strikeouts. Now the one-two pitch. Breaking ball in there, strike three call. It hit him. And they're saying it nicked him on the arm. The game is over. It was called a strike initially, but then it was ruled that the ball hit Conforto. Michael gets to first base. The Mets are pounding on him. And in a very unusual scene, Don Mattingly is saying, hold the phone. We want to check this out. Meanwhile, the Mets are celebrating a 3-2 to two win. All right, there are a lot of highlights, a lot of games, but the two big stories of the day, is it cheating? Is it just baseball? Is it okay? The Mets beat the Marlins on the walk-off hit-by-pitch. The umpire, Ron Culpa, started to go for strike three. That's why you heard the strike three call. Changed his call, said the pitch hit him, so that forces in the winning run. But then later he comes out and says he blew it. He should have called strike three. It's not reviewable. So Don Mattingly can be as mad as he wants, but they're not reviewing it. Although, if you look at the video, clearly the arm, the elbow, goes into the strike zone. And then there was even a bait. It didn't really hit him. It more hit his protective equipment because these guys wear stuff to protect their elbow. And so, PK, cheating, brutal call. What should baseball justice look like? More replay? Well, I don't understand the replay. Who, who decided this? Has Moses come down? <laughs> uh, pitches that are strikes in which you get hit are not revealable, thus saith. I mean, if you're going to have the replay, hi, the re- replay. Now, Ron Darling is the Mets broadcaster. He's a former pitcher, obviously. He does uh, the postseason with Turner. He's their own Mets guy saying they've got to review that and they're going to call it strike three. Don't Mets guy saying that because clearly what it was, but then they can't review it. Who decides whether what the heck you can review or not? Does baseball what, have what a c- competition committee like the NFL does? I would assume it's I mean, whatever that is. It doesn't make any sense or when you can review it. and Either you have the replay or you don't. Conforto clearly put his elbow out there and he didn't have to worry because he's got a bunch of padding, and he's looking at the pitcher saying, hey, kiss my elbow. I mean, come on. Major League Baseball is investigating the Dodgers' Trevor Bauer. Umpires collected multiple balls he threw during his start against Oakland earlier this week. They had visible markings. They were sticky. They were sent to the league office for further inspection. Even if the ball is found to have foreign substance, it's uncertain if they can prove Bauer did it and if any potential punishment imposed by the commissioner would stand. So you go public with this and kind of put them on notice. We're going to be watching you. We think you did it. We can't prove it, but we think you did it. Or you had someone do it. Tom Brady, have someone under-inflate the football, that kind of deal. 
some ball boy or something is back there. This reminds me of the NCAA. We have to give these players money. Well, you already are. And this is, well, so-and-so over here is cheating, and so we're going to penalize them to show we're tough on cheating. Meanwhile, there's a hundred other cases of cheating over here going on. I mean, this has been going on forever, and I don't know that it's ever going to stop. And so we're outraged over Barry Bonds or whomever we might be outraged over. But over here, oh, wow, it's just gamesmanship. And maybe we give them a few games if we catch them or eject them, blah, blah, blah. I just, I don't understand it. DJ and PK. I was never really in an offensive mindset out there today. And uh, even when, when things were rolling for me, you, I was still playing very conservative golf out there. I kind of knew the type of challenge that today was. And it was more of a day of trying not to lose it than, than feel like you know that, that, that kind of score was on out there, to be honest with you. But was, things just started going my way. I mean, my putter was hot today. I was reading the greens unbelievably well. And uh, I hit the right shots at the right time. There were a couple of pin placements that were gettable. I was able to take advantage of those ones. But other than that, it was just sort of... Um, yeah, that hot blade, I suppose, was, was was what got me going. Golf. A hot blade, PK. He was two over after seven. He got an eagle at eight. Birdie nine and ten. Birdie 12 and 13. Birdie 15, 16, and 17. On fire coming home. So he's got a four-shot yeah. lead. And he's really the only guy who went against what Bob Casper told us yesterday. Bob said the conditions, you know, the greens are brown. It's stressed. They're really fast. They're expecting thunderstorms. So they're kind of planning in advance of those. It's going to be hard to get two or three. You guys are going to be at two and three under. Those are going to be the best scores. And it's true for everyone except Justin Rose. So the greens are brown, you say? Yeah. All the greens are brown. <laughs> nice. Brian Harmon, Hideki Matsuyami at three under. You got a group of four golfers at two under, including Patrick Reed, who you drafted, PK, with his very last pick. And then, I went for a walk <laughs> on the master's grounds. I'd be safe and warm <laughs> if I shot seven under par. It's only a half under. Green w. jacket, green dreaming. <laughs> On such a spring day. Half a dozen guys at one under, including Jordan Spieth, who I picked. Bob Xander Shoffley is in the group at even par. I sort of like that. All the greens are brown. All right, DJ PK, we will talk Masters. Get a second round update. Brian Taylor will be joining us at 9 o'clock. We'll let some more guys... uh, Get started. The first groups are going out. They are starting second round play right now. And uh, Mackenzie Hughes with a birdie, so he's two under now. He's already picking up speed. We'll talk with uh, Brian at 9 o'clock. David Locke, radio voice of the Jazz, is going to join us next. Joe Ingles is here around 835. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. 
Sam Amick with us from The Athletic, working on the free agency files, who's going to possibly be out there. Somebody on your list is Mike Conley. What kind of market might await him if he chooses to test it? Mike has made it real clear he wants to resign in Utah. The Jazz have a chance here with Mike to have, I think, a run at title contention for the next several years. It would seemingly be a no-brainer, but signing Mike to a big-time deal is going to put them deep into the luxury tax. That's the only if to me. I'm not hearing any noise as of yet about Mike looking at greener pastures. But that being said, it's free agency. The way he's shooting the ball, the way he's still showing that he can play at a high level, I think Mike certainly is going to get plenty of attention. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, time for Hot Takes or Toast, brought to you by Jerry Signer Cadillac. Check out the bold new lineup at Jerry Signer Cadillac. It's definitely not your grandpa's Cadillac. So the Utah Jazz... On the back end of a back-to-back, beat Portland by 19 points. Not what anyone predicted. We hit the uh, Facebook page and Twitter yesterday, and lots of Jazz fans weighed in, and a lot of people had a lot to say, and nobody said, you know, it's going to be okay because they're going to beat Portland by 19 tonight. Literally no one put that up there. So, question of the day, how could you not be impressed with the way our Jazz hammered Portland on the second night of a back-to-back? PK, you're channeling Ted Leitner now. I don't know who Ted Leitner is. Oh, he's a uh, sportscaster in San Diego when I was growing up. Actually, he just retired as the Padre announcer. He had a bunch of different jobs. But he always used to say, when they used to do scoreboards on TV sportscasts before tickers, it would say, my Padres when they won, and it would say, your Padres when they lost. Our? eh, Kind of the same thing here. They're ours now. They're yours when they lose two in a row. Tony Gwynn Jr. does the radio commentary, and it is shocking how much he sounds like his father. It's just unbelievable. Close, close your eyes and you think it was senior. Tony Jr. sounds so much like him. It's incredible. It's amazing. But uh, sure, yeah, I mean, that's we're speaking to the crowd where they are. They are their fans, and their fans are part of the team, the way they get into it, and there's so many of them who are into it. I keep hearing and reading, oh, well, you know, the NCAA game had – 15 million people watch it. It's almost double what the NBA Finals had. And see, politics is taking a bite out of it. And I'm sure that's true to some extent. But not so much in our community when they're good. As I would think it's just about in any community. I don't know that our community is that different. There may be more connection because it is uh, the big time here. And we don't have a lot of big time in that way. But, yeah, the fans, they want to say our, us, and we, and all, just like Locke does. And away they go. They are into it big time, and we're in a home stretch of the season. So, yeah, when they win, it is our. When they lose, it's you guys suck. (laughs) Tony says our Jazz. Dang right, PK. This was a character check to see if they could come back after a physical and emotional loss. And I'd say they passed with flying colors. Well, they did, yeah. (laughs) Sure. If you want to go a character test, I'm fine with that. Uh, they had some work to do here, and things got tight. And they're thinking, Portland, oh, well, pretty much we wanted to write it off. And I don't want to write it off. If you're going to write it off, then just play a bunch of those guys uh, at the end of the bench and sit your guys if you don't think you got a chance. But that's not the way they approached it. And they looked like they had energy. They didn't run out in the third quarter or fourth quarter or whatever. And why shouldn't they? Uh, be mentally tough, and they were. So they deserve the praise that they're getting. It was a very impressive win. 
they basically won going away. What more can you want from that? Well, you can't want any more from that game. I assume fans want wins over Dallas and or Phoenix. I mean, three in a row always seemed like too much. You, you mean, you've already won nine in a row, and the next uh, four you're going to be favored in. Are you really going to rattle off 16 straight? That happens very rarely in the NBA. Probably someone was going to get you in this streak, and it turned out you lost two. And the Suns got you in overtime. Well, by definition, overtime means it can go either way. Todd says, we did it without the sixth man of the year. Impressive! With three exclamation points. Todd's all sorts of fired up. Yellow shorts over there on the sideline, man. <laughs> that was pretty loud. <laughs> yeah, they're a deep team, and they ought to be able to... to they ought to be able to get get through it without one guy. Uh, yeah, and Conley came in and played. Normally doesn't play, but clearly they were on some level of minutes restriction, I guess, because uh, he only played like 22 minutes, I think it was. Uh, and Joe upped his minutes into the 30s. So he took over, got a lot more playing time on that. And sure, yeah, Clarkson didn't play, but... You know, to me, uh, Gobert and Mitchell, those, those are the guys that I'm going to get the most worked up about by not playing, obviously, particularly Gobert. Well, Favors continues in very limited role do what they ask him to do. I'm not sure there's a guy in the league who understands and executes his role better than what Derek Favors does. And he, When he signed on, he knew exactly what it was about because he'd been here for nine years, and they knew, everybody knew, and here we are, deep in the season, and he's given them exactly what they're supposed, what he, he's supposed to give them, and what they've expected. So you gotta like that. I mean, the the point of signing him was to do exactly what he's doing, and so he plays his role just the way they want. And there's no confusion. He never steps outside. We don't have to worry about favors from the corner anymore. That never was going to work, and he doesn't do it. <laughs> so, and that's good. So, still, if Gobert were to go down, it would be a major blow. Uh, and, and the other guys, on a game-by-game basis, you should be able to withstand them. Mione can slide in and play a few minutes, and he gave him 16 minutes. So, between him and Joe picking up some more minutes, they had it, and they had it covered. It wasn't, as yeah. it wasn't really an issue. Right. Uh, more people weighing in here. Randy said they look good. More hustle tonight. Rudy was physical. He showed what they are capable of. Yeah, I thought Rudy was physical against the Suns too. But and he's been uh, he's found a level of consistency. Uh, I think, as uh, Quinn Snyder said, it was the other guys being more aggressive, making sure they got it covered. Now Portland's not that big of a team, and a lot of times they were going small too. So I think that allowed them to be able to get the amount of rebounds that they That's, got too. But but you got to credit them for getting them. That was great in the post game when Rudy was asked about playing the small lineups, and he basically interrupts the question. He says, "We have to punish them. We have to punish them." He said, "Punish well, yeah, them like four or five yeah, times." I totally in the agree. Answer. Yeah. If you're going to do that, here's what we're going to do to uh, take advantage of that. Time now to talk with the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke, brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. You know, they went. They didn't go small because they thought it was a strategic advantage. They went small because their other choice was so at that time was doing so poorly that they might as well try something. 
They didn't have answers, did they? No, I mean, Nurkic was on a minute restriction and got in foul trouble, and then I think in Cantor's first 17 minutes, he was minus 18, or I might be slightly wrong, he might have been minus 17 in his first 18 minutes, regardless, or as some great philosopher once said, irregardless. Um, it doesn't, you know, that that was not working for them. So Terry didn't have a lot of choices, so he went with a, he went small. I thought it was actually a pretty creative answer, and it certainly didn't work. What was the difference in the rebounding from Phoenix to Portland? Was it a mindset or exactly what? I think it was two things. The mindset was was to put a body on someone rather than to jump with them. It wasn't as though, you know, it's worth noting that in Phoenix, it wasn't as though we, we didn't have guys there, right? It wasn't like they were grabbing rebounds going back up and in. They were playing tip balls, and then they were getting the tip balls. So that gets to then a little bit of a question of whether it was personnel. Um, you know, everyone's so stunned that DeAndre Ayton had an impact on the game. He was the first pick of a draft that got drafted in front of Jaron Jackson Jr., Luka Doncic, and Trey Young, uh, and some, and another, and Marvin Bagley, but, you know, okay. Um, and so I think that you have to remember that this kid's seven feet tall and was the number one pick of the draft, and maybe it wasn't the right pick, but it wasn't like he was some scrub. Um, so he's pretty incredibly talented guy and the, you know, Portland didn't have that personnel in the middle at seven, one tipping the ball and making plays. So two parts, one, I do think there was a concerted effort to go get the rebound and there was a concerted effort to not try to jump with people, but to put some body on the legs of people and then, and then get the rebound. Um, but I would also, I would also say, I think there was, um, you know, a personnel difference of what you were going up against. I thought last night was super impressive, though. Uh, we've got to start seeing some real duds out of teams uh, as we head down the stretch here. I'm going to be really surprised. Like, when you look at the right-hand column of standings, you know, it says 9-1, and 8-2. and two. I, I don't think we're going to be seeing that the rest of the way. I think we're going to see... Seven and three and six and four, somewhat universally across the board. The amount of games everyone's playing now in the in this schedule, um, I just don't think people can be sharp. And so I thought last night was one three games, four nights, three games, you know, three straight on the road, where I really or you know three different locations where I, I just really thought that was not a script um, to go grab one. And the fact that they not only grabbed it, but while not having a perfect night, dominated, I thought was really impressive last night. So I thought that was one of the things, and we've talked about that. They didn't shoot the three well again, under 30% again, and yet they won by 19. So the good news is, hey, if you can win other ways, if you've got multiple ways to win, that's great. How much does the three-point shooting concern you? Uh, how much is it them, and how much is it teams defending them differently and deciding you're just not going to beat us with a three? And we're seeing more guys driving and finishing at the rim. Yeah, I don't think teams can really decide that. Um, I'm a believer fundamentally that defenses can dictate how many shots you get at the rim, but I'm not entirely sure that defenses can totally dictate how many threes you're going to get. Um, we are seeing teams obviously respect the three-point shooting and hug the three-point shooting, so that should open up the lane for more drives, and we are seeing teams you know, try to prevent Rudy from getting six, seven dunks in a game, which you know we don't think much of. I think you know it's 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 not a crossover dribble pull up for two, but like uh, I'd love to go look at our win percentage based on the amount of dunks Rudy has in a game. Like 
you go get five freebies a night, I don't think you lose. Like mathematically, it changes the game as dramatically as hitting three. So, um, you know, th- those are what the two t- what teams are trying to do. So now you, we've got guys who are beginning to adapt, and this roster is built far differently than the rosters we've had in the past. That we have players that can do that. So when you watch the uh, the Jazz and the Blazers go out of here and you throw up that number about the lobs, it sounds to me like you're making that first cousin to that thing you told us about the turnovers above the break. When you turn the ball over, you know, beyond the top of the key, and it's just an easy one-on-none layup or dunk for somebody, if you have uh, four or five of those a game, you're done. Well, that's why they lost to Phoenix. It's not like I know we talked about the rebounding, and that's certainly a part of it, and we can talk about three-point shooting. The reason we lost to Phoenix is Phoenix was in transition for 18% of their possessions, and Devin Booker got seven layups in transition last night. You know, I mean, that that was the game. Like, all these other things were cute. Like, their second-chance points for the amount of offensive rebounds they got was not astronomical. In fact, the Jazz did a really good job of defending after giving up the offensive rebounds. But the reason they lost to Phoenix was because they either committed turnovers or did a just an occasional one or two possessions, which is awful of getting back in transition defense. And then Chris Paul is brilliant. Chris Paul, you know, was able to play and push ahead to Devin Booker and make plays um, that were, that were outstanding. And so he deserves credit for being that outstanding. Um, You know, it's not always because of us. The other guys are pretty good too. Yeah, absolutely. And that game generated a lot of talk among national media and radio shows. And so I'm trying to listen as much as I can to try to get some different viewpoints into my mind and you speak of the uh, reason why they lost. And I forget, I listened to so I'm many I'm so different... curious, BK. I really want to know. You know the game really, really well. Me? Yeah. You know our team better than anyone you're going to listen to. So I'm just curious, who do you listen to? Well, I just go around. I've got the okay. satellite radio on my radio, NBA radio, and they bring people out there. Then I'll flick around. I've listened to the Phoenix radio because I knew they'd be gloating. Uh, and I listened to you the you day before. You were Phoenix radio, and I was on. How did that happen? Yeah, I was. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> uh, they brought you on, and I was, and I happened to be listening, and you were lighting up Ryan Hatch, uh, and I texted him that you were lighting him up, and uh, he said he was in a meeting. <laughs> he said he was in a meeting, so he'd go and check it out. Well, one of the things, and of course, and I, and of course I thought, he, oh, he claimed he was in a meeting. Like, what do you think? What do you think it was the thirteenth or the? 14th? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was a meeting at the fourteenth tee. I don't know. Ryan Hatch, I'm in a meeting. I'm an executive. I'm important. Come on. Don't BFF. He is we know you. All the time. I'm sure one he didn't love that... one of the stories I told. I'm sorry that you told him. Uh, well, I figured I had to. So it was funny. And so okay. he's. I haven't heard if he went back and got it because he said he was busy at the time. But there was one, and I can't remember who said it, which, uh, what I was listening to. Uh, but I thought, oh, that's going to be a question on Friday for sure. And it was, and I figured because it would draw a bunch of emotion from you. And it was the point they were making was that the Jazz are so reliant on analytics that they felt, the commentator felt that this game, the analytics blew it for them because you talk about hug the three-point shooters and the Suns aren't particularly a good three-point shooting team. And so they shot only 32% from the three because the Jazz were determined to take it away. But Chris Paul and Devin Booker, who aren't 
statistically good three-point shooters, or I think Paul had made three that game, but Booker was over six, that they they blew it because they should be more worried about the two-point shots because that plays to the Suns' strength. And so what do you think about that as far as trying to eliminate the possibility of many threes, but in the process do you give up more twos than you normally would? So I'm not entirely so – you made a little twist there at the end that confused me. Um, if I interpret what you're saying right, that basically someone tried to claim that Booker and Chris Paul's two-point game outdid the Jazz three-point game that night. Um, if that was this person's assessment, um, and this is a risky thing to say without knowing who we're talking about, um, I, I would say, no. good, because I'm about to torch them. Um, I would say that I wouldn't, I would forever after be cautious of anything I hear from them because they take the easy answer that sounds really intellectual without doing any research on it. Um, and so I would be cautious of what I hear from them. Uh, Phoenix, it's Devin, Jazz did a brilliant job on Devin Booker and Chris Paul's two-point game. Chris Paul and Devin Booker are great at that. They're the best in the league. Phoenix shoots 51% on twos. But the fact was that in the half-court offense... Phoenix, I think, averaged like 0.84 points per possession that night, more like the 14th percentile. So that little, the mid-range game that they're playing in and of itself did not cause the problem and work that well. What caused the problem was, one, what I already mentioned, was that they got out in transition in almost 20% of their possessions, which is just way too many. Um, And then, two, you know, when Gobert moved forward to deal with the, mid-range shot, then DeAndre Ayton at 7-1 was big enough to keep balls alive and um, and keep offensive rebounds going for Phoenix. In regards to the Jazz, you know, lack of three-point shooting, they, I mean, that's a fact, that's a fact and, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I, there are three data points that have me a little concerned with the Jazz three-point shooting, and it's probably something I'll research this weekend. They've taken almost 100 threes against New York, Miami, and Phoenix, and they're shot very poorly in every game against those three teams. So it feels like it's not a huge data selection, but it feels like that's a little bit more than a coincidence, that they've played New York twice and shot 30% both times, that they played Miami twice and I think shot 30% both times, and that they played Phoenix twice and played 30% both times. Now, New York is Thibodeau's defense and the second-best defensive team in the league. Miami and Phoenix are really similar defensively. They, they shift a great deal. They're long on the wings. Um, they have pretty good, generally, you know, defensive toughness. They're physical. So the, it's worth going to watch those threes. Like Dallas, we just missed shots. Like I'm just not – I've watched I watched all of them. We just missed shots. Um, and the next time we play Dallas, we'll shoot 45% from three um, and, and kill them. Uh, but those three teams, it's a little disconcerting to me that there's two games in a row where you don't shoot well against the same team. It seems like that's a little bit more than just make or miss league. Did I answer that question at all? Okay, yeah. So since you bring up Dallas and going back to missing the shots and losing that game, Dallas looks great against the Jazz. Horrific in the loss to Houston. Luka Doncic 
just you know punching the chair and throwing the water bottle in disgust when he's sitting in the huddle and just throwing it on the ground. But then they bounce back and they beat Milwaukee. Is that what you're talking about, about too many games to be good all the time? Because that makes no sense. You beat two of the top ten teams in the league and you lose to one of the two worst teams in the league. Is that just yeah, I mean, too many games? Worth noting it's a Giannis, Giannis list Milwaukee on the back end of a lengthy road trip. Um, so I'm not sure Milwaukee had a chance last night. Uh, I think wasn't that their sixth game of a road trip? Uh, I think you're right about that. And, and I yeah, get without, that point, but Giannis. they're still better yeah, than no, I, Houston. Um, I do think Houston, actually, I watched Houston play Phoenix. Um, I think we have one or two left with Houston. We better be careful. It was the only thing I'd say. Um, they're not awful right now. Like, in fact, um, and I was on with Ben Golliver this week on our, our Thursday conversation for Locked on NBA. Um, we discussed it actually on two of the trades that were made this year that maybe the players that were traded and got all the headlines were wrong. So, like, I think there's a chance he brought up this one. There's a chance that Kelly Olynyk's actually better than Victor Oladipo at this point. And I'm not actually entirely convinced that Wendell Carter doesn't help you win just as much as Nikola Vucevic. Like, so Houston actually getting rid of Oladipo, he's so inefficient right now. Um, and his leg's so, you know, not right. I think there's a chance that the Linux actually a better player for them. So, I mean, they look, they actually, Houston, Houston doesn't look like the team that lost 20 in a row. They, like I've watched happen to, you know, we've played teams who've played them recently, so I've watched them. So just a note on that. Um, but, yeah, I think that is what I'm talking about. Um, I also just think that, like, from a Dallas standpoint, I had the exact same reaction you did, David. Like, how is that possible? Like, mm. you just feel like watching them against us and Luca's dominance that, that you just wouldn't want to see them in a seven-game series and they're ready to go and here they are. And then they add Chris Dapps and he has a massive fourth quarter last night. And they just feel like they're loaded. I do think they'll finish as a six-seed. I do think they'll catch Portland. Um, but that also might be recency bias that we just watched Portland not look good and watched um, Dallas look really good. The, the other one that's just hard for us, frankly, is that Rudy Rudy is such a force on the game that our experience watching teams is so different than everybody else's that you really have to go you know, evaluate Dallas and evaluate Portland by watching them play a normal team because Rudy just changes the game so much. There's nothing about playing us that I think gives me a good impression. Like, I think Nikola Vucevic is not very good because he just is awful against Rudy. And so that, you know, they've won three in a row. I need to probably go back and watch Chicago win last night and see how good he was to understand that when there isn't the greatest defensive player in the world defending him, that he actually is pretty good. Well, David, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for hopping on with us. And uh, Joe Ingles will be along to entertain in about 45 minutes. So, you know, gear up for well, that. I hope, I, hope, I hope Joe is well. I was actually going to drop him an email today since that's our correspondence level. So I'll do that now. And I'm sure he'll be uplifted by my thoughts um, <laughs> by the time he gets to you. All right. Thank you, David. <laughs> See you later. DJ and PK. Stay with us. Got a uh, Masters update with Brian Taylor from Real Golf Radio coming up at 9.05. And Joe Ingles is coming up in about 45 minutes right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Number one. Make us your number one preset. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.
The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Get your foursome together today and sign up for the Dyslexia Center of Utah Charity Golf Tournament. Join the fun May 13th at Cedar Hills Golf Course. 100% of the proceeds go to the Dyslexia Center Scholarship Fund. Space is limited. Find out more at dyslexiacenterofutah.org. Well, PK, the second round of the Masters is on the way, underway. Justin Rose, the first-round leader. Everybody else shooting 69 or 70 at best, and he goes low with a 7 under 65. He's got a four-shot lead as the second round starts. Tee shot at number one. Going right. He's looking concerned. The ball's bouncing in some trees. You're not sure where it is over there. He ends up making bogey on the hole. You got a gut feeling? Is he coming back to the pack real quick? He's dropped a shot here on the first hole today. Well, it only matters is if he wins. So, no, I don't think he's going to win. So keep our eye on everybody else. Well, Hide- not everybody else, but... Uh, Hideki Matsuyama going out at 11 o'clock. Still a lot of golf to be played, obviously. Yeah. Uh, the, you can only lose it on Thursday. You can't win it on Thursday. Uh, and Rose is over 40 now. So and then you can have a 20-some-year career and be competitive and make money uh, and occasionally win. But are you going to win this one? You know, we keep going back to 86 when Jack was 46 years old. Okay, two words here. Jack Nicklaus. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> you know, so he did special things for so long that, you know, you to comp- and you hear it a lot when the older guys uh, are competing. It's not to say a 41-year-old cannot win because it's not like you're completely and totally over the hill. I just don't get caught up no matter who it is on a Thursday and say, wow, he is the front runner all the way. Now, if it's tomorrow morning and we're listening to Bob and Brian and Real Golf Radio and they're talking about somebody who has a four or five shot lead, that's a different story. But the first day, I'm just I'm impressed, but I'm not going to take it beyond being impressed. If you string together two of those, then that's a huge, huge difference. And we always hear, of an, and I want to emphasize that 41, I'm not saying it's that old, but we always go back to anyone who's a little older and refer it to Jack. If it would have been somebody like, uh, even like a Freddie Couples, say, you know, a nice player on the tour, we know his name, we've known his name for years. I think he, Freddie's like 60, 61 years old now. But if he would have won it, it would have seemed like, all right, that's a little more doable because he's just your average great golfer, if that makes sense, right? Whereas Jack, he wasn't your average great golfer. He was the ultimate golfer for many, many years. So we go back to that one. So I have to see. I don't discount Rose being able to do it, but I don't think he will. Because I generally think that no matter who it is on Thursday, that somebody's probably not going to go wire to wire. And we'll see, because this matters so much to these guys. That's why it's so fun to watch as a fan, because it really does matter. We talked about this yesterday, I think it was, to where you see guys literally can't speak when they win. 
Well, they don't do that on the John Deere. Hmm. They do it on these types of tournaments. Dustin Johnson could not speak. He he couldn't literally couldn't speak because it's the Masters. It means so much, and with that brings all sorts of elements into play. So under the theory you can lose it on Thursday, but you can't win it, a theory that has been offered up many, many times over the years and has really been proven true in large part, uh, Bryson DeChambeau uh, went four over, and so right, right. so did um, uh, Rory McIlroy. So I'm putting them two on of my the, picks. I'm putting them on the can't win list, but at plus two, would you put Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka? Well, I would put Kepka on there because of the surgery that mm-hmm. he's had and been away from the game. But Dustin, no, I would not put him on the can't win list. Now you got to make a little bit of a move. You don't have to make it all the way back when you have 54 out to go, but you've got to make a move. And so that's why certainly across the board we'll know more tonight. If Justin Rose is coming back to the pack, then the guys at two over are five shots off the quote-unquote new lead once, you know, Justin puts some bogeys together and comes back to the pack. I mean, you're, you're nine shots back, but you're only five shots back at second place. So if the top guy's backing up, maybe that gives you a shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, DJ and PK, we'll take a break. When we come back, the Utah Jazz with the victory, the win, the losing streak stops at two. And now here comes Sacramento. Here comes a, a string of beatable teams. And we will get to that next. Joe Ingles coming up at about 835 right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.